All right, so we're going to cover the whole New Testament tonight, if that's okay. Um, all right, so if you're uh, a guest or if this is your first time or maybe you haven't been here for this series and you see that and it's overwhelming, join the club. Everybody that's been here might be a little overwhelmed by that too. But So this is the Bible. <laughs> um, my attempt has been uh, to just, I want you to fall in love with Jesus and the scriptures that he was in love with too. But not so much that he didn't see what the scriptures were all about. They were about him. He even told the Pharisees and the scribes, as you search the scriptures, you think that in them they have, you have eternal life, but they testify of me and you won't come to me to have life. And so what I want you to see is Jesus and how our whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. That's what he said. He said that all the things written about me we're all over these scriptures. It's all about me, that the Christ would suffer and die and that the gospel would be preached for the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And so it's been my attempt to show how our Bible, these scriptures, is one story that leads to Jesus and showing how God works his way in his world, that he had a plan. His plan is that he creates this good and beautiful world and puts humans as his image-bearing creatures in that world, and he wants to bless those humans and rule the world through those humans. But there is a significant problem to that plan, and that is humans. <laughs> they were just, were just so profoundly messed up. And yet God did not alter his plan. He didn't uh, wad it all up and throw it in the trash. He worked mightily and beautifully and meticulously throughout history and through a group of people, you can call that people a remnant, um, by forming a covenant with them. That how is he going to solve this problem? He's not going to go by another way. He, we need another human. We need a different kind of human. And so from Genesis 3, we have this tiny little signpost that points forward to a human that would be able to reconcile all of this, to be the kind of human all humans have failed to be. And you follow the story along that how is God going to work with messed up humans? Well, he forms a covenant relationship with them. And it's so counterintuitive. It's not the way I would go. It's not the way you would go. When there's someone you don't trust, the one thing you do not do is make promises to them and have expectations of them. And yet that's what God does through human history. And he's working his way through human histories. And someone asked me, well, like, why did he do all of that? And why did we not just get all the way to Jesus? I don't know. All I know is there's like a thousand pages of our Bible that we got to make sense of that he did it this way. And in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, he thinks that's the best way. Our job is not to figure out why he did it. It's to figure out, well, what is he doing? And... How does it all point to Jesus? And so we looked at the covenant with Noah. The, the first time we see the word covenant mentioned is God's response to unreliable humans. And he keeps forming covenants. And we have these four main covenants in the Old Testament. Covenant with Noah, Abraham, Israel, and David. And God's people found magnificent ways to fail at these covenants. To just show what humans really are all about selfish and broken. And yet, God is still at work, and all of this right here is 
all of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Zechariah and a few others, it's all pointing to this human that would come and save the world and how he would save the world. And then we looked last week at Jesus is that human. He is the image of God. He is the human that all humans have failed to be. And then in being innocent, being that perfect human, he takes all the sins and transgressions and iniquities and evil and death into the cross with him. It's nailed to the cross. All of our iniquities and sins, all of our violation of this covenant is nailed to the cross and goes into death with Jesus. But Jesus did not stay dead. He was raised on the third day. Now, why is it not over? There's still a gap between the resurrection and the, we previewed the future, new creation. Well, I, I don't know all why, but truthfully I'm glad because I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be here if he didn't have some kind of plan. And so somehow this gap between Jesus' resurrection and new creation, we are in that gap. And we have to at least try to see, is there anything moving forward? Is there any responsibility that we have to move this story forward? Or is there just some, not really any plan, there's no real order, it's just wait your time until the end comes? No. I mean, that was rhetorical, but like I'll just answer it for you. No, that's stupid. Um, There's no way that a God this meticulous, this perfect, this imaginative, pays that kind of penalty for human evil, just to sit around and say, I don't know, sometime in the you know, third millennia after the resurrection, I'll, I'll make it right. Until then, we'll just let them go. Nor what, and this is where, um, <laughs> I think I've done this once in this, in this series, so this might not be as risky as I'm feeling in the moment, but I, I want to push just a little bit that most people have heard when they hear the gospel or have heard the gospel, the vast majority of American Christians, when they hear the story of Jesus, it is framed exclusively in the context of where you go when you die. And though the gospel, you know what, just just say it like this. There are three verses in the New Testament. Three. Three three that make mention of where you go when you die. Three. You don't form an entire doctrine and couch an entire message of Scripture by three verses. It's not that it doesn't matter where you go when you die. It does. It's just that what if we actually made important what the New Testament makes important, and what it doesn't find to be as important, we find not as important. You think that would make sense? That we prioritize what Scripture prioritizes? Well, what's happened, and well, no time for that, because we're covering the whole New Testament. There's a, there's a story, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's no time for the last 2,000 years of history and how 
doctrine gets shaped by regions and times and periods and ages. Just not time for that. That, that framework for, the, for the, the gospel being couched to where you go when you die is less than 100 years old. In 2,000 years of Christian history, anything that's less than 100 years old, we should at least hold open-handedly a little bit. But what if we actually looked at the New Testament and found what the New Testament drives forward and we kind of associate with that? Can we do that? Can I give you more than three verses of what this whole thing's about? Because we're about to just, you're about to hear it, okay? We're about to machine gun it at you. All right. So my goal, and I'm similar to last week, my goal in reading certain texts is not to explain everything about those specific texts, only to show you how the New Testament writers are tracking with this story and have something to say, not just about the past story, but about how this story moves forward. You with me? Okay, so we're going to start in one gospel reading, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection. Jesus shows up to his disciples. We looked at Luke's story of the Sunday, Easter Sunday. This is Easter Sunday in John's gospel. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Which is, a, which is a Jewish greeting, basically like, hey, what's up? I just love, oh, man, I love Jesus. The resurrect, I love Jesus on many levels. The resurrected Jesus is just awesome, okay? And I'm just not talking about theologically. I'm talking about like interpersonally. He's like, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> That's just great. Anyway, <clears throat> peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so, I am sending you. The vocation that Jesus bore, he then extends. What vocation did he bear? Be the human that all humans have failed to be and give his life as a sacrifice. What does that even mean? Look at this. This is fantastic. And when he said this, he breathed on them. Now, if 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 you look at the other gospels, narratives, Two of the Gospels pay close attention of Jesus eating, on, like in the upper room, eating some fish, some bread. So like, he's got some fish breath. <laughs> hey, peace, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. <sighs> All right, so obviously there's more going on than this. Remember... The Gospels are not written in a vacuum. They're written with all of this in mind. Well, if you rewind back to the beginning in Genesis 2, you have mankind formed from the dust of the earth. And what does it say about God? What does he do to the dirt clod? He does what? Breathes breath, spirit, wind, breath. In Hebrew, ruach. In in Greek, pneuma. Spirit, wind, breath. He breathes his spirit into the human. And the human was, became, this is Genesis 2-7, the human became a living creature. The man, Adam, the dirt clod. Adam is a, is a, is a word picture of dirt. The dirt clod says became a living creature, a living soul, a living being. God's breath made him alive. Right? So... 
He says, I'm going to commission you to be the human all humans have failed to be. But guess what? You're going to need God's spirit. To be that new humanity, this is Ezekiel 36, to be that new humanity is going to require God's spirit. So he breathes on them. And then what does he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. How are you going to be the new human? Well, you, old human, are pretty terrible. Remember, we've already acknowledged we got a hard heart, we can't obey, we don't really love, and we can't trust. God's going to have to do a work at the very root, a new heart. And it's going to require a new spirit, and it's going to be empowered by God's very spirit, Ezekiel 36. And John is cleverly putting this in the narrative. Jesus breathes his spirit He says, receive the Spirit. Now you are equipped with a new humanity, a new spirit, God's spirit, to be the new humanity, and you've been sent with the vocation of Jesus. For what? Look at verse, the next verse, or the rest of that verse. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Can't explain doctrinally how, like, we don't have the right to, like, hold back forgiveness. What we have responsibility is to announce forgiveness... And being withheld means if you withhold forgiveness, you don't announce it, guess what? They never hear the gospel. So you have been equipped with God's very spirit with the vocation of Jesus to do what? Announce that Jesus is the man and took the sins of all mankind is now in me empowering me to do what? Say, your sins are forgiven. You've been empowered, your sins are forgiven. How does God treat you? What does God think of you? Being messed up and broken and sinful, you're forgiven because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, pretty common, but see it in the context here. If, any, if anyone is in Christ, okay, so this is, this is a big deal, okay? So you have Jesus, then Paul makes very clear there is a, a place we are that is in Christ. Because remember, old human really messed up. We need new humans, and Jesus is the only one. So humans need to be in him. Not in self, not in Adam. In him. And if anyone, anyone is in him, he's a what? He is a new creation. Humans really messed up old creation. And God doesn't create new creation by trashing the old. He heals and renews the humanity, the human you are. He renews and you become a signpost of Jesus' resurrection, he is new creation, and now anyone in him and receives his spirit becomes a signpost to a future that all is going to receive, all of creation will receive. You're a down payment is what, the, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of the full inheritance, and the full inheritance is new creation. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new human. 
Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So in some way, Christ's crucifixion, remember, it was for you. Paul says, if I was in Christ when he went to the cross, my sin, my evil was in Christ. I was with Christ in his crucifixion. I was crucified. And now it's no longer I, the crucified old me, who lives. But Christ, who lives in me. The life I now live, remember, the life I now live, I live how? By what? Faith. What have we looked at this whole thing? I live by Trust. Trust in Jesus, not in me. I'm pretty terrible. And I, the terrible me, died. There was no hope for that, that me. It's dead. It's not resuscitated. It's not in recovery. It's dead. That, that me died with Christ. Now there's a new me, and that new me, how does that new me live? By trusting the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he, he follows it with, I do not nullify grace. I don't nullify grace. Grace, remember, is God's gift to us that we don't earn or deserve. It's freely given. And that grace isn't just the forgiveness of sins. It's a new humanity that God gives us. And there is a way to access that grace by trust and there's a way to nullify that grace how do you nullify that grace he says i don't nullify grace for if righteousness being made right before god if righteousness remember where were we introduced to righteous and blameless in noah what made noah righteous and blameless sinless perfection no trust Abraham, he was righteous and blameless. What had made him righteous and blameless? It wasn't sinless perfection. That dude was messed up. It was trust. Now, in the grace and righteousness that is in Christ, that can't be done by me following all the rules. My obedience has nothing to do with righteousness. If I treat my obedience, the law, if I treat my obedience as a way to be made right with God, I've come under a covenant that has been done away with. And that will nullify grace. And if I nullify grace, Christ's death, it's, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Christ died for nothing. Okay, Romans 5.17. We'll just keep rolling. I told you, a whole New Testament. For if by one man's trespass, the one man being Adam, one man's trespass, what reigned? Death took over. Took over all of creation. Because of one man's evil, rebellion, death 
reigned. Death reigned through that humanity. Much more, but in the same way death reigned in humanity through our sin, much more will those, read this, those who receive the abundance of grace, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness do what? Reign where? Not in the afterlife, though that's included. Don't worry about that. That's not the point. If you're reigning in life, trust me, you'll be fine. But when those who receive and live in, I was using blue, I used blue. The grace of Jesus and that righteousness, in the same way death reigned through rebellion, much more do those who are in Christ reign. What color did I do rain in? Black. What were humans as the image of God designed to do? God wants to rule the world through humans. Humans failed. One human didn't. And has made it, made it possible that Anyone can be in him and being in him by grace and righteousness now can walk in the vocation that all humans were called to but failed to. Reign in life through who? The one man. I just like Paul. The one man. Well, you know, there's been a lot of humans throughout human history. There's only one. The one man, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. Remember, we need redemption. We need to be redeemed. Christ redeemed us from what? The curse. Remember, the curse was in our rebellion and disobedience that he took on the cross. And because of his sacrifice, he redeemed us from that curse of the law because he became a curse for us. And then Paul quotes from the Torah, for it is written, everyone is cursed who hangs on a tree. But for a purpose. He became a curse and took away the curse and redeemed us for a purpose. That in Christ Jesus, the... What? The blessing of who? Abraham. Remember, how did God, what, what, was God, what was Abraham blessed for? He was blessed to what? Be a blessing. For whose sake? The nations. I have it written somewhere in here. Nations, there it is. He was blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Remember, the nations were in rebellion. So God chose a remnant, a people, to bless so that they would be blessed. We failed and brought a curse. Remember the curses of the law. Instead of blessing, there was curse. And they brought on themselves the curse of the law. Now, Christ became the curse for us and redeemed us from the curse 
so that the blessing, not the blessing of obedience in a quid pro quo kind of relationship with God, I do good, you have to bless me. No, the blessing of Abraham, God blessed Abraham before he did anything right or wrong. Blessed him so that the blessing of Abraham could come to who? The Gentiles, meaning more than the Jews, which includes who? All the nations. God fulfills the promise to Abraham by those who come into Christ now receive that blessing that he promised Abraham millennia ago. The blessing of Abraham might come to the nations because Christ became a curse for all of us and that we might receive the promised spirit. But remember, the promised spirit creates in us a new humanity. You remember that? Go to verse 27. For as many who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, in Christ. And in Christ... Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. Not because those categories don't exist, but because those categories do not rate you in who gets blessed and who doesn't. Now, the only category of blessing is in Christ. You are all one in Christ. Then verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Your heirs, you're in the family according to the promise. God fulfills his covenant with Abraham through Christ Jesus and all it is is us in Christ. This is the world's problems right now is we don't know who we are. In Christ, all those categories that are dividing us are no longer a wall that breaks us apart. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians. My goodness, he's so tracking with all this. Verse verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Meaning it's in a place, not for the future, but safe from the problems of the present. Being held in heaven is not about being held for a future reality. It's held in God's safety so that when we live and pray, your kingdom come, your rule, your rule and reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have access to the heavens. And in the heavens, there is every blessing. Every one of God's blessings is available for anyone in Christ Jesus. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and Blameless. Where have we seen that? Holy and blameless. 
holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, sons and daughters, family members, children, through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of his glorious what? Grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. Remember, Jesus' baptism, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And anyone in Christ is now blessed in the beloved. By being in the beloved, you're blessed and you're a family member and heirs according to that promise. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Remember, being holy and blameless is not being perfect and without sin. Is that, I just recently taught on that, okay? And I went really long to try to make this make sense. I apologize for that. But like, I really care about getting this right. Because holiness is so easily misunderstood. And he calls us to be holy and blameless. But then he says, not by sinless perfection, but because we have been redeemed. And in redemption, we have been forgiven. Forgiven of all our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.13 says he has redeemed us. He has he has rescued us or delivered us from the domain of darkness, the domain of darkness that's been at work in all of humanity. We've been rescued or delivered from that and been transferred into what? The what? The kingdom. Remember, the good news is Yahweh reigns. God has a kingdom. And Jesus announced God's reign is right here and right now. The kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news, Isaiah 52, that brings peace is that God's in charge. And Jesus manifests God being in charge through his rule and reign. And now we have been redeemed from the domain of darkness, the, the dominion that the dominion we've been in since Genesis 3, we've been redeemed from that kingdom, that authority. Sin and the devil have no authority on you. You've been redeemed from that authority. There's no, they have, the sin has no authority over you. It's been forgiven and you've been delivered. Just because you committed doesn't mean you're a slave to it anymore. You've been redeemed. You have been redeemed from that domain and you've been transferred to a new domain. Make just... No, you're not in charge of that domain. The kingdom of his dear or beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's just kind of replaying all of humanity right here. Following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I'm going to talk about discerning of spirits in a couple weeks, here in a couple Sundays. 
I'm going to talk about discerning of spirits, that we're in spiritual warfare, and this is wartime. You should know that. And not that that might be a surprise, and I'm not talking about global political squabbles. I'm talking about real spiritual warfare, and we don't have discernment, and we're coming under the wrong spirits. Hold that for later. Among whom we all once walked. Like, we were all stupid like this. All once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. At our best, this is all we did. We just messed it up. When we tried our best, we just messed it up worse and worse. And there was some kind of demonic force, some spirit, a prince of the power of the wind, the air, that is, has dominion over people's lives. And we were all guilty of it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were, we were dead and, and broken and we were just full of sin and wrath, even when he made us alive, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. He gave us new life in Christ. There is new life. And he made us alive together with Christ. Because remember, we were crucified with Christ. Now he's made us alive together with Christ. And then he just sort of previews his point. By grace you've been saved. You didn't do that. It was done for you. And he raised us up in his resurrection. He raised us up with him. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. Then he says this, and he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only were you made alive in him, you were raised with him, you also seated in heavenly places. Where is Christ seated in heavenly places? It's a throne. Like what kind of chair does he have? It's a throne over all dominion. And guess where you are? With him. You're in him. So that in the coming ages, he might show, oh man, he loves to showcase his immeasurable riches and grace for those who are made alive and rule and reign in Christ Jesus. It reveals his glorious grace. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. How? You've been saved through faith. Remember, like we, we just mess things up. Humans are at their best when they do nothing. They just stop, just stop and trust God. Now that's not cliche and it's easy to just use that as cliche because you don't know how to help people and just say, well, you just trust God. But like literally just for the sake of this point, stop. We were not saved because we tried harder and can do better. We're not saved because we can make God proud. He says, by grace you've been saved, and you access that grace, not by trying harder and doing better, not by putting on a good show, not by trying to be the new human that God made, but simply stop through trust, through faith, and it is not you that did it. It is Christ that has done it, and it is a gift. Now, it is not a result of your obedience or works. Your obedience did not get that grace. 
trusting God gave you that grace. And remember, the context of this grace is that you were made alive, you were raised and resurrected with him, and now you reign. The grace is for a purpose, and it's not where you go when you die. It is to reign. And it, and it, and it flaunts the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. That grace is shown off when you are reigning in life and it is not by you doing, by you obeying. You can't boast because of that. But why have we received that grace? For we are, verse 10, his point isn't done. We are his workmanship, created new creation, created in Christ Jesus for what? Hmm, where have I seen that word? He still wants his world to be good. And he's not asking you to be good to get the grace. He's saying grace's evidence in your life is that you just do good. Your obedience is an outflow of your trust and faith. Where have I seen that? But remember, our hearts couldn't do it. We were supposed to trust and in trust we obey. And we do that because of our heart that's full of love for God. We couldn't do that. We needed a new heart. And so we receive it in Christ. And now because of his obedience and his righteousness that is given to us by grace through faith, we reign in life with him. And as a result, we can't help but just want to obey. And it does good. Good works, which God prepared beforehand. Like, oh, his plan for you is good. And you should walk in that goodness. Romans 8, 29 for those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed into what? The image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among a whole big family. Remember, mankind was made in God's image. We corrupted and distorted that image. Jesus is the image of God. And now in Christ, we are called to be conformed into that image. And the image that he was, now we are to manifest as the family of God. How do we do that? 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We behold the glory of the Lord in Christ Jesus, which remember is his grace and truth. John 1, 14 we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So there is a point to all of this, and that is that our lives get transformed. Transformed into what? That image. And we begin to Reveal the glory of God, one degree of glory to another. And this comes not by you trying harder and doing better. It comes by the what? The Lord who is the Spirit. Yielding and being in relationship with the Spirit, knowing who Jesus is and beholding His grace and truth is making your life image His life. 
and imaging his life is not just being nicer. It's certainly not being self-righteous amongst an ungodly world. It's to rule and reign. Remember, how did Jesus rule and reign? Well, he gave his life as a ransom for many. We exercise our rule and reign by, well, doing what he did. Announcing forgiveness and giving our life in service to others. And what Paul calls that is good works. Okay, you're not convinced. All right, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. We still got more of the New Testament. Colossians 3, verse 3. Gosh, I love this. This 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 one of my favorite New Testament texts. Okay. Colossians, outside of the Gospel of John, Colossians is my favorite New Testament book. Because it's like 96 verses of Jesus being awesome. Okay? And here's one of those. Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he's coming back. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what flows out of that? Because our life, you're dead. Stop it. You're dead. You have a new life, and it's in Christ, and it's hidden in, in Christ with God, and we search out our life in Christ. We're being conformed to his image. Therefore, there's a therefore, verse 5, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, or the things that you used to participate in, anything in this red category, okay? Put to death, therefore, all these things like fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked. Don't be all self-righteous when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. All of this is this old human that died in Christ. And how you were associated with that died in Christ with him. And you were raised to new life. You were raised when he was raised. And now you reign in life. And now part of reigning in life is put all that junk away. It doesn't make you guilty before God, but it does make you not be able to reveal his glory in good works. It more looks like the old humanity. Because look, he says, put off, verse 10, having put off or having put on the new man, the new human, the new Adam, Jesus, having put on the new man. You put off the old man. You put off the old human, because remember, humans were the problem. And he says in verse 9, you put off that human, and you put on the new human. Remember, there's a snake-crushing human. Jesus was the snake-crusher. Remember, he defeated evil at its source at the cost of his life. And you put on the new human, the new man, the snake crusher, who is renewed in what? Knowledge according to the what? Image of him who created him. Which tree got us into trouble? The tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Now, the new human 
is being renewed in knowledge, not of knowledge good and evil, not of controlling good and evil, but of knowing the image of God. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, of his creator, the image of him. I thought that was good. All right, verse 11. And here in this new human, this new humanity, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. It is all about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family or household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy, what? Temple. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord And in whom you being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Where does God dwell? In his temple. Well, where is his temple? In his image-bearing creatures. Okay, just, I just need to know. Are we seeing the connection? All right, do you see how one story that's moving this forward, and for whatever reason, Christ has not returned. And so what's in the gap between Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father to rule and reign over the nations and the new creation? Apparently, it's us. And we aren't just being good little troopers as we wait. We bear his image and continue his mission. And what's required for that is God wants to be with his people. In the tabernacle and in the temple, Jesus was the temple or tabernacle, and now he is back in his temple, and it's you. And it's not just you by yourself, it is us together. First Peter 2 9, where he, this is, okay, I did a whole series on this, so I'm not gonna get stuck here. But maybe you can see it. You are a chosen race. Okay, don't think race in ethnicity, think human race. You're a chosen race. You are a new humanity. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. (laughs) All that Jesus is, we bring to the world by bearing his image and living in his grace that makes us rule and reign in life. His temple, we are his temple and also his priest and a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, announce the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then verse 10, it's not on here. Once you were not a people, But now you're the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you are full recipients of God's mercy. And then Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words. You are the light of the world. You are, you 
we, temple, you're the light of the world and you're a city set on a hill. A city that set on a hill, well, it's not really good at hiding. You're not supposed to be secret and private. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works. People see your good works and their response to them seeing your good works is to give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Good. Do good. And in so doing, it shines a light. A light that God is in charge. And they give glory to our Father who's in heaven. And remember, Matthew 6 says we're to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants the heavens, His kingdom, His reign to come to earth. So us making our primary agenda going, he's trying to come here and we're trying to go there and it's just not working, okay? It makes for a shallow gospel and an immature people. But God wants to take over the world. And how does he do it? Through a renewed people who rule according to his rule. But how did he rule? Well, he gave his life. And so guess what our good works are going to do? We're going to be given our life. Revelation 1. Look at that. We're already at the last book of the Bible. I say already. I've been talking for a while. <laughs> Revelation 1, verse 4. John said to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the what? The ruler of kings on earth. Not future kings, not kings on earth. So, so every president in all of our history, every prime minister in all of global history, Every king, every queen, every tyrant, every dictator, every chancellor has a boss. Not one day, now. And every one of them will have to give an account of how they exercise their authority before the one to whom they report to, which is King Jesus. Make no mistake, Jesus is in charge. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has a temple. He has a people. He has his image. God's image is still available in humanity. And it is to trust, to just give up on trying and trust. Trust God. And in so doing, that trust connects us to Jesus' death and his resurrection. 
But remember, it's not just his resurrection in the same sentence. Before there was a period, it was also his reign, his rule. And through his grace and righteousness, we reign in life. So we are to reign over sickness and disease. We are to reign over sin. But listen, the way we exercise our rule or Christ's rule in us and through us is through sacrificial service. Because one day the whole world's going to have to give an account. And every measure of authority that any of us have ever had, we will have to give an account for how we exercise that authority, that rule. And we'll have to give account to the king of all kings. And there are many who don't want to do that. There are many who want nothing to do with any of this. Many of them go to church. I don't know if you know this. Some of the most like, worst humans on the planet are really committed churchgoers. And that, that the, image of, the image of rebellious humans in exile through this story has been what city? Babylon. Genesis 11, exile in the rebellious city, Babylon. Israel in rebellion, exile in the unholy city, Babylon. Revelation 18, Babylon becomes an archetype for the kingdoms of earth in rebellion. Revelation 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For how many nations? All nations. Have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now, all of this is metaphoric and imagery illustrating r- larger realities that isn't as literal as you might be reading here. So, one of the things in, in Revelation, like sexual immorality, is actually <laughs> idolatry. Is there a literal sexual immorality? Sure. Yes. There's plenty of that in the New Testament. But here, you actually have a religious Babylon. Idolatry. You have a political Babylon. Kings of the earth have drunk from her passion. And an economic Babylon. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from her power. Humans like getting powerful and rich from Babylon. And all nations have drunk from her. Humans still have a choice. What rule will they align themselves with? But you didn't know that? And then he says, verse 4, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. This is an interesting story. Now, I might be really confusing you right now, and that's okay. I don't mind that doing that occasionally. Maybe it make you think and pray and read and try to get some, and just please don't chase too many rabbits that, that go down really dark, really stupid holes, okay? 
imagery and poetry here is painting a picture of humanity and rebellion that Babylon has, you've already seen generation after generation of images of Babylon, a rebellious city against God. And there are plenty of humans that are aligning themselves with that city. And he calls to his people, my people, come out. And in chapter 18, Babylon the Great is judged. Okay? There is judgment. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. There's judgment coming to the rebellious humanity. But remember, what we are supposed to do, we are sent as the Son was sent from the Father, so we are sent into the world to do what? Announce the forgiveness of sins. To be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered people to do good works. But to not align ourselves with religious, political, or economic Babylon. A world in rebellion to God. Listen, when the kingdom of heaven arrives, there are people who will not want anything to do with it. And there's plenty of stories about that. They they, They won't want it. Stop worrying about trying to get into heaven. I think God will allow anybody that can stand it in. Does that really make you uncomfortable? I could push it further, but... Like I, that, again, we're talking about three verses of the New Testament. There are people who could not stand the love of God. They don't want anything to do with it. A life consumed by hate cannot bear that image of love. They hate it. And so he's saying, my people, come out of that city. And there's a final judgment. And then what's on the other side of that final judgment? Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And a city coming down from the heavens. And there is no temple because guess what? God's fully present there. And then look at verse 20, or chapter 22 of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The throne of God, or sorry, the leaves of the tree were for what? Of what? The nations. Remember, from the very beginning, what does God want to do? He wants to bless the nations. They have been in rebellion. There is coming a day where God completely gives rebellious humanity over to the consequences of those decisions. But what emerges... From that is a new humanity, a new creation. And guess what? Just in case you didn't know, one of the themes that goes all the way through here is we are the trees. Humans are trees. You can cross-reference that with Ezekiel 40-something, 7. 46 verse 12. Somewhere in there. People are trees. Psalm 1 He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, bearing fruit in due season. His leaf will not wither. And whatever he does prospers. You're a tree. And guess what? You represent the tree of life. And what's what's the life, the fruits that come from us? The leaves of the trees are for what? The healing of the nations. God wants to bless the nations. The nations will one day choose in final form 
what they want. But once that judgment takes place, what God wants to do is bring healing to the nations. And you and I are a foretaste of that rule and reign. When our lives bring healing to others is a foretaste of what God will do in final form. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will ne- they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That future will happen. It's going to happen. It will happen in Christ Jesus. I don't know when. I personally, personally, this is just personal, I'm not projecting this on anybody. I personally don't think it'll be in my lifetime. I have my reasons, not for which are right now. I'm also okay being wrong. Like if the Lord returns, I'm not going to be like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh-uh, no, no, no. I had my six reasons why you were not going to come. <laughs> I'll totally apologize. Because I think the church gets so caught up in assuming it's, it's going to happen right now, in this lifetime, in now, and we stop living the life God called us to live. And that one is not to just go in cycles of sin, to not just keep doing our own thing and saying, well, I prayed that prayer a long time ago. I'm safe. I'm fine. I'm saved. I hope so. But if you're not reigning in life, then you are living below the capacity of God's grace in your life. Reigning in life. Imperfectly, we struggle through maybe. But this, oh my goodness. This is how important you and I are to God's story. That he found it worth keeping human history going so you and I could participate in his plan. And listen, if you don't get anything out of any of this, just get Jesus. Just please get Jesus. Because, okay, you can learn all of this. All I've wanted to do is say, our scriptures are telling a story. And I know it can be confusing. I know it can be weird. But it's a beautiful story of, of who Jesus is and how much he loves you. And how much he believes in the capacity for his grace to transform your life. He believes that you and I can be the humans he intended all humans to be. And all humans have failed to be. And he took the failure for us. And the only thing he asks us is to trust him. Trust him. He wants to bless you. Do you like, please get that. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how rebellious you've been, no matter how much maybe your past or your current mistakes are weighing down on you and you're convinced God couldn't bless you, listen, he has already blessed you in Christ Jesus. All of his blessings are available to you and I in Christ Jesus. And those blessings are for a purpose. 
to be a blessing, to bring good into a world that we know is so messed up. My goodness. It doesn't take long to recognize how messed up the world is. But Jesus has breathed on you and I for us to receive his spirit so that we can go be vessels of his image, of his rule. And part of his rule is saying to one another, your sins are forgiven. God's not holding back on you. Yes, you've messed up and he's already forgiven you. His grace is magnificent and beautiful and you didn't even have to earn it. It's a gift. You just got to receive it and you just got to trust God. It's all about Jesus. And I, I hope somewhat of my obsession of him gets transferred and leaked onto you a little bit. And I know I said maybe some, a lot of confusing stuff. Okay, I'll own that. I'll hang around. I, I plan to spend my life here with you. So I, I plan to clean up the messes I make. So I get it. But I, I, want, you, I want you to love the Jesus that loved these scriptures. And no, yeah, there's a lot in there. It's all about Jesus. And we come to the table every week because we need that recognition. I need his grace. I need his grace. And he's not withholding it from you. The body and blood are all communicating to us. He already knew you messed up and yet he gave his life for you. He gave his life freely so that we could receive grace and receive that righteousness in order to reign in life. And so every time we take this bread in this cup, it's, it's, it's in a sense fueling us to reign in life, receiving our healing so that our lives can bring healing to the nations, receiving our forgiveness so that we could be vessels of forgiveness in the world, receiving the healing and restoration and redemption that is given to us in Christ Jesus so that we could be vessels of his kingdom, bearing his image in a broken world.